0: Welcome to the Leader's Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leader's Edge. In this episode of our Politics and Risk series, Council VP of Government and Political Affairs, Blair Bartlett and Council Member Charlie Daniels, Senior Vice President at Broker NFP, interview Representative Mark Molinaro of New York. Then we hear from Blair and Joel Koprud on the latest from Capitol Hill. I hope you enjoy it. Charlie, thank you for joining me today.
1: Um, And for for those that listen, I'm I'm here with Charlie Daniels. He's the senior vice president of NFP, and he is I guess your home base is upstate New York. You're also a former chair of CIAB back in 2005. Um, And today we are we have a podcast um, with a conversation with you and Congressman Mark Molinaro, who represents the 19th District of New York. He's a freshman member. He's on um, house agriculture, transportation, infrastructure. Um, But you know him before he came to Congress. And so how how do you know Mark Molinaro?
2: So Mark first came uh, to on my put on my radar screen when I found out during the elections for the for mayors in Dutch in Dutchess County back in I think it must have been in the, in the 90s it's almost 30 35 years ago Mark was 18 years old and ran for the mayor of a little village in Dutchess County and he won and at the time was the youngest mayor in the United States he then became a, a New York State Assemblyman then. Um, became our county executive, and he's, he was our county executive, and and frankly, one of the most effective county executives in our history. At the time, I was uh, chairing the Dutchess County Industrial Development Agency, and Mark had established a program called uh, Think Dutchess Business Alliance, which aligned uh, businesses with, with the public sector to create and retain jobs. And, and Mark's Think differently program did something similar with not for profit um, agencies in the public sector, and he's just a he thinks outside the box. He you can't put him in a bo- you can't put him in a political box.
1: I love when we are able to connect our members with members of Congress, um, and I you know that's part of the reason we we do this podcast and to show that that bipartisanship does exist um, and that we do rely on the relationships that our members have with members of Congress and and how we're able to even augment that relationship um, is very helpful um and so let's you know let's get started and and I hope that that everyone um you know enjoys hearing about bipartisanship because it does exist and and hopefully you'll hear that it um that it's strong even if you may not hear about it
2: the amount of success that you had in Dutchess County was really unparalleled and kind wow. of want to talk to you about that today and and, and uh, talk about how you were able to forge consensus between all these different constituencies, whether it be, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans, the business, the, the not-for-profit sector, you know, I was hoping you would share what inspired you to start that. And then how are you using that to springboard some initiatives you know, on the national level?
3: you know obviously the last few weeks have been uh distressing for a lot of people uh, myself included charlie uh, you know this um, i've spent every day of my adult life actually governing and and it's kind of funny to say i mean i usually say well, i've spent every day of my adult life in public service because i was elected to office as an 18 year old and i've been doing this for um um uh, uh, I've been doing this for a while, uh, but, but, but more than public service, I've actually governed. And, and so the last few weeks have been really distressing because we got away from that. And hopefully, um, you know, we, we now can move in that direction. Um, I appreciate you mentioning Think Differently. You know, in, in Dutchess, uh, we launched uh, what is now a nationally recognized effort to support those with intellectual, physical, and developmental disabilities. And uh, really break down barriers and create opportunities. And I've talked about this a lot. And Charlie, you know this uh, one from my personal experience. I have a daughter uh, who lives on the autism spectrum, was born with a seizure disorder, and uh, lives life with uh, with with some developmental disabilities. Uh, and so the reality of uh, of providing support as a parent is is just sometimes overwhelming. The entire system, um, you know, is is, is a labyrinth. Uh, and layers of government have just created more complication for folks who are trying to advocate for themselves or for some loved one with a disability. And frankly, if you got a full-time job, it's almost impossible to do. And so, um, you know, I wanted my county government to be more re- responsive to and respectful of those with disabilities and their families. And that effort became, you know, broad-based from employment to education, from parks and playgrounds uh, to traditional ADA uh, accessibility. Uh, to housing and transportation, and so um, now in Congress, it's something that that I've I've made sort of my signature, um, you know, priority. There are a lot of things that uh, we have to deal with, and obviously, a lot of priorities that uh, uh, that the people who have elected me ask me to focus on, and and, and rightfully so, um, you know, we're we're focused on them. But this is a population that often gets ignored. Eighty percent of those with disabilities are unemployed uh, when they really have an opportunity to contribute in a lot of ways, and so here I'm trying to trying to create those uh, those opportunities. Um, everything from, by the way, partnering with uh, a few Democrats on on language, uh, you know, making sure that the words we use in criminal court and and process uh, reflect uh, not the old language of how we used to talk about those with disabilities, uh, to uh, uh, to emergency response, making sure FEMA uh, uh, addresses those with disabilities, uh, whether it's hurricane, fire, floods, uh, or any kind of uh, uh, emergency and, and all points in between. And so it's a it's a priority for me, uh, and it's something that we're gonna. We're going to remain active uh, and effective uh, in in addressing.
2: What's been your your strategy in terms of reaching across the aisle to to gain support from from the other from the colleagues on the left? Yeah, Um,
3: and so I, you know, I say this: I'll work with anybody who's honest and earnest about solving a problem. Uh, And I, I think you uh, you know this. Um, You know, I, I first ran for office as an 18 year old in a place where you don't have you don't run a party affiliation, and frankly. As we used to say, when the roof leaks, it leaks on Republicans and Democrats. And the job of government is to simply fix the roof Uh, here in Washington. We spend a lot of time blaming somebody for why the roof leaks, uh, whether or not, uh, you know, we've picked the right contractor to fix the roof and how much we're going to pay to fix the roof and whether we're going to pay at all. And so, um, you know, I I, I think that Washington could use a lesson from a village mayor. Um, You know, the job is just to get the job done. Um, And so for me, as I said, I'll work with anybody uh, who honestly and earnestly wants to solve solve a problem. And, um, you know, a lot of times, by the way, that means I'm working even within my own uh, conference within the Republican majority to try to get some agreement. Um, I will say my lifetime of experience, I think, has has been of help. Uh, You know, I don't I don't come to Congress with a deep understanding of parliamentary procedure here, but I certainly have A great deal of experience in in how government's supposed to function. And I know the layers uh, from federal, state to local, uh, having now served in and worked in uh, all of them. Uh, And I also understand the nexus between, you know, what small businesses like yours uh, or farms, uh, like the ones I represent, or community and local leaders. I know the nexus between the challenges they face and uh, whether it's state, local, or federal government. And and, and so um, I think that You know approach and 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 background is helpful um i subscribe to the harry s truman model which was to speak less uh and listen more uh early in my term uh and um you know when i have a concept to try to be respectful of the fact that there are a lot of people who've been here for a long time some um brand new all have life experiences all were sent here by their constituents all believe uh, that uh, they're speaking on on behalf of their constituents and therefore uh, you know, my beliefs are not more important than somebody else's. It's just a matter of molding the consensus. Uh, I'll wrap up by specifically saying, you know, I, it, the one of the surprises and challenges in Washington is, is that there really aren't a lot of places where Republicans and Democrats get to sit and talk together. So you have to purposefully make those opportunities. And I do. Uh, if you turn on C-SPAN because you're up late at night or have nothing better to do in life, um, you can kind of see members wandering around and and it is a little bit like the um, middle school cafeteria. It's likely the most powerful middle school cafeteria in the world. Uh, but you've got to figure out which lunch table you want to sit at and for how long. and And I am just like when I was in middle school, don't spend a lot of time at any one lunch table. <laughs> and so, um you might turn it on and 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 I might be across the aisle talking to folks. I might be on the aisle talking to folks, which is interesting. Our most conservative members sit right on the aisle uh and um and then i use those opportunities outside of of you know that time uh to build uh, relationships as well uh and then lastly i think charlie you'll you'll appreciate this probably more than blair or anyone else um you know i I, i lived through many many members of congress from hamilton fish uh and jerry solomon uh through you know kirsten Gillibrand, john sweeney and chris gibson and so the models for me, at least, are people who are purposeful in their service. And, and so we assembled a team of people, our legislative staff, our communication staff, and the leadership, both in the district and here, um, You know, I've said to them, our job is to govern. And, and so I want them working with other staff from those offices, building the relationships necessary to actually legislate. And I'm very proud to say, with uh, nearly every one of our policy initiatives, being bipartisan, no freshman member has more policy initiatives uh, added to legislation adopted by the House than I do. And I believe I have the second most of any member of Congress. Um, and again, everything from you know modest-sized uh, uh, initiatives to very small steps meant to address the priorities of the people I serve.
2: Well, speaking of legislation, and that that is impressive. I did not know that, Mark. Um, one of the things that we're interested in as an insurance trade organization is the Farm Bill.
3: Yeah, rightfully
2: so and and authorization of crop insurance. So, you know, where is where does that stand? I mean, how did you how did you balance the needs of your constituents constituents with the needs of the nation? I mean, what was the what was the process that you you went through? Because we're interested in, in in that for for our members.
3: Sure. Um, And so I'll I'll say, first of all, crop insurance isn't um, isn't the priority of upstate farmers. It is a priority, but it isn't the priority. And I say that because, um, um, you know, for my mindset, right, I I go into the district and folks are talking about specialty crops or dairy um, uh, uh, margins uh, and all very, very important. But when you talk to farmers in upstate New York, uh, they acknowledge the supply chain issues and the reliance on those that do more readily and 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 more uh, appropriately have to rely on crop insurance, and so I try to sell the um, uh, the network, right? I, I try to explain that this is a uh, this is an issue that affects the entire supply chain, and so I try to explain the a, a, and really argue the supply chain, the entirety of our agricultural industry and infrastructure, and why crop insurance is critically important uh, to that to that network, if you will, to that supply. And so um, what I will tell you is, uh, let me give you a status report. Uh, Had we not um, been forced into ousting the Speaker, and again, um, I'll just say, I'll give my one partisan um, uh, comment, which is eight Republicans and every Democrat voted to eliminate and oust the Speaker of the House, not something that Congress has ever done before, nor should we ever repeat, and frankly, was a huge mistake, but it also stole uh, a month of time, maybe more Uh, And had that not occurred, I believe the ag committee uh, would have the farm bill out of committee, uh, would have had it out of committee uh, late October, if not this week, uh, and we'd be moving immediately to next month uh, into uh, floor time. Now, the speaker, uh, Mike Johnson, has assured us that uh, the farm bill is a priority. Um, Right now, we think we may still get floor time before the end of the year uh, for farm bill. Uh, but there is an honest conversation about whether or not we want to consider short-term extension as we kind of negotiate out. Um, and so I just would tell you, um, you know, for me, uh, the Farm Bill is more than and than only agriculture policy. Although uh, for the first time in our lifetime, well, actually, Charlie, for the first time in, in all of our lifetimes, even yours, uh, America is uh, producing less than we consume. And that's a that's a problem. And if you study um, civilizations throughout history, if you can't feed yourself, you're really not in a good position. And America is now reliant on foreign countries. And worse yet, those countries, or at least their influence is buying farmland and farm assets in America. And that's problematic. You know, and so we've got to get the Farm Bill adopted. Uh, Chairman Thompson's made it a bipartisan effort. We are working in a bipartisan way. There are lots of agreements from. Uh, that we have to uh, and issues we've got across from nutrition and the traditional food stamp uh, issue, which I'm happy to mention and talk about, but uh, to to more traditional uh, farm policy. Um, for me, uh, we're focused on dairy resilience and and trying to open markets for dairy, uh, protect dairy as an, as an industry and uh, expand uh, um, uh, the protection of, uh, of, of dairy farming. Um, supply chain resiliency, critically important, and then I'll return back to where I started, creating job opportunities and, 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 and openings uh, in the field of agriculture for everybody, of every ability. And so I, I, I do have a policy priority to expand Agribility, which is a, a, a national in, uh, program uh, to support families with individuals with disabilities. My goal is to expand it to open up job opportunities in the agricultural industry uh, for those of, of every ability.
2: That's a great initiative, Mark. I, I happen to do business with a lot of human service agencies, some of which have an AG uh, program, and it's 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 been wonderful. Uh, it's also an
3: education opportunity for those right. in particular. I would say, um, you know, as I said about uh, those with disabilities, eighty percent unemployed, uh, they also have very limited access to educational opportunities beyond high school. If we can move those with disabilities with interest uh, into into Future Farmers of America or Cornell programming. Um, uh, early on, uh, they can transition into secondary education, um, uh, if you will, uh, through agriculture, and it really would create both educational and and um, uh, and, and employment opportunities.
2: Mark, I, I think I have one final question. Blair may, may have another, but um, you know we're a bipartisan trade organization, so we're very interested in in members like yourself um, who are interested in reaching across the aisle to to move legislation forward. Are there any particular members on the other side of the aisle that you feel you're you're having good luck working with, or 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 in the future may end up? Because we we'd like to we'd like to know that.
3: Yeah, um, and so the uh, short answer is, as you could expect, uh, Congressman Pat Ryan and I work very closely together. Uh, he was uh, Ulster County executive. I was Dutchess County executive. We only have the Hudson River dividing us uh, and, and during his tenure, which was basically several months and then two years of COVID response, um, you know, partisanship and politics didn't get in the way. Uh, you likely know in August of of last year, he and I ran against each other and I have every reason to not work with him. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I don't subscribe to that kind of philosophy. And so we work together on a number of issues. Uh, we have our disagreements as most people do. Uh, but, uh, Uh, We worked uh, together on a number of policy uh, initiatives. I'd point to Josh Gottheimer in New Jersey, another um, partner that uh, we work together on on policy initiatives uh, as well. There's a few uh, newer members uh, that uh, that I work with on on um, uh, on accessibility issues, but I point to Josh and Pat as sort of the ones that we go to first to kind of feel out, uh, you know, if there's going to be. Uh, 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 the ability to work together. But I will say again, I want to return to, um, you know, I, I, you got to be purpose, purposeful in making those relationships. Um, uh, the Washington, D.C. delegate and I, uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, uh, you would not necessarily put us in the same room or even on the same uh, legislation for any particular reason. Uh, but we uh, co-sponsor a bill um, uh, to change uh, language uh, here in, in the District of Columbia to eliminate the R slur. Uh, that uh, still exists in court proceedings and court language uh, here in Washington uh, and replace it with uh, language that's more like moderate developmental or moderate you know, intellectual disabilities. So, uh, you know, on any given day, it's a good idea. I'll work with somebody to get it done.
2: Blair, is there anything else you'd like to cover?
1: What's the number one concern you hear from constituents? Um, you know, when you're stopped with your family at the grocery store, or at the gas station, what what do you hear the most?
3: So first, I want to say... I am at the grocery store. I I can't I, I don't I don't judge anyone else. Uh, Charlie knows this. Blair, we well, and I have talked about it. I'm sure. I have four children. You will see me at the grocery store or Sam's Club with a lot of of stuff, <laughs> and the stuff is very expensive, and and that's what I hear. Uh, in my and the people I represent uh, obviously are most concerned about everything from property taxes to gas to groceries to electric costs just too damn high, and and they and I hear it from everyone, regardless of means, regardless of background, regardless of ideology, it's just very expensive. It is also what fuels upstate New York's exodus uh, in that we still, uh, New York State and upstate, lead the nation in out-migration, more people leaving New York to other states than any other state in America, except I think Alaska. In the case of Alaska, it's likely the weather, but in the case of us, it's cost of living. Uh, and And so that's number one. I just would the second one though, is is, and I just want to point to it, uh, is 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 connected. And that's a lack of respect they feel from their government. Not necessarily the individuals who serve in it. i suppose I suppose they, and you know, it's like everything else. They might dislike Congress, but they may like their congress member. They may hate the state legislature, but they may like their legislator. Um, uh, they just feel like government in particular, Washington and Albany um aren't paying attention to them. And aren't giving them the respect they deserve. And the regrets I have as a public official, and, and I still have them today, is when I inadvertently make people feel like their voice isn't as important as it is. And so I, da- I dare say I don't let that happen much. But when it does, uh, those are the that's that's when I regret it because I just represent a part of the state that knows what it's like uh, to be disrespected by by government, and and, and I never want that to happen.
2: Well, Mark, thank you so much. Thank you for what you did for Dutchess and what you're going to what you're doing for our, our districts. And I I think you're going to be very, very successful. Uh, and and I, I'm, we're going to hear much more from you, I think, as, as years go by. So
3: I'm in the place uh, that I think I can be most useful. And, and, and I am, despite the dis- dysfunction and at times distressing situation. I, I do love it. I was told by a colleague of mine, stop saying you love being a member of Congress. Nobody <laughs> loves being here. And um, I do. I love I love it for its responsibility uh, and I love it for the opportunities.
0: Blair, that was a great conversation with the congressman. Um, Really interesting around bipartisanship and his history of service. Without further ado, let's go right into our current government affairs issues. I know you all have a ton going on this week, so um, let's just jump right into it.
4: Uh, yeah, thanks, Sandy. I thought, I mean, I really loved that conversation. I really liked, I, you know, all of them, they talk about, all of the members that we've interviewed talk about their bipartisan creds, but I mean, his his are, are you know, second to none. He's great. He works across the aisle regularly, as he mentioned. I know a lot of members on the other side of the aisle like to work with him. I did really, I had to smile when I heard his take on uh, the ousting of Kevin McCarthy and how he thought that was a partisan statement to blame the Democrats for his ousting. <clears throat> I want to It's funny, right after that, actually, around the same time that that was recorded, I spent uh, a good chunk of time at a retreat for a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is a group of the most moderate Democrats and the most moderate Republicans. And it's formed so that the moderates can talk to each other on a regular basis because they have so much more in common than potentially other members of their caucuses collectively. And there was so much um, frustration with the other side of the aisle from both sides. And Republicans blamed Democrats very aggressively for taking for siding with Matt Gates and taking down, d- down Kevin McCarthy it was a very tense weekend um and my message to all of them was you've got to move on if the moderates can't talk to each other this whole democratic experience is just done <laughs> like we are in such a fragile state right now where business issues are not getting done because moderates can't get along and you guys just have to move forward so I smiled when he made that comment because I heard those sentiments echoed lar- uh, very loudly at that retreat. But I'm very confident in his—I mean, his background, his dedication to to governing, to moving things forward. I think that is consistent with most people that are par- part of that group. And honestly, like the broad center, which is was largely represented in both sides of the aisle. They just want to move forward. They're being, you know, they got the guns held to their head from the left and the right to try to move further to the fringe, and they really just wanna do the right thing. So I'm confident we're gonna see our way through this, but I was really, I I thought his comments were really relevant and they made me feel good moving forward. But all of that said, our big issue right now is everyone listening knows is our PBM bill. Uh, And it sounds, you know both sides of the aisle, both chambers have largely coalesced around some form of PBM reform legislation. And we have our parochial language in both bills uh, which would require pbms to be as transparent with their revenue streams as brokers are we actually think that this is current law but pbms have made the case that the language is ambiguous and they don't have to comply with it so we are seeking clarity that they do have to comply with it um, and if we can get the house bill or the senate bill past the other chamber and to the president's desk we will claim a big victory uh, and it's been held up by the chaos in the house as every piece of legislation has um, but since they have sorted that through, assuming we can get through the government potential government shutdown on Friday, it looks like our next bite at the apple on getting this to the president's desk will be early next year, uh, and I'm cautiously optimistic about that strategy. Blair, what are you? What are your thoughts?
1: Um, I was trying to be nice and not interrupt you, but I but I should I should have interrupted you um, when you said that you know Republicans and, and Democrats they need to move on. I will remember this day. Um, because, you know, constantly January 6th is brought up um, as something that prevents Republicans and Democrats from working together. And so, yeah, so I, I agree with you, Joel, that, you know, folks need to move on. And you you see that, you know, someone like Mark Molinaro, who has been in public service since he was 18, you know, the nation's youngest mayor when he was elected, um, you know, has been successful because of, He's willing to work with anyone who who wants to solve problems in an earnest way. Um, and I wish that that was highlighted more because those those as we have shown through this podcast, those members of Congress do exist. Um, and it's just unfortunate that they're not deemed newsworthy enough. Um, they're not deemed clickable enough. And so it's just really frustrating. And And while I'm glad, you know, why I'm really glad that you had the idea for this podcast. Um, but moving on to, you know, the schedule this week. And I, you know, speaking with a member of Congress last week who's really close to the PBM fight, he said he thinks that it it could, you know, their PBM legislation could still happen this this year. Um, I was surprised at that comment. He said, no, really, I think I think it could happen. Um, you know, so I'm still holding out hope that um some PBM bills will go. But unfortunately, you know we know that when things t- tend to move quickly like this um right before the end of the year it doesn't always work out how we how we planned and things tend to get removed or added very quickly that you don't know about until the bills passed um and so i'm just you know i know that we're doing all that we can to make sure that doesn't happen to our language um but it's that's always frustrating about this time of year that you have the holidays and you have um you know the potential of of nonsensical legislation happening, but mm-hmm. it's this is you know this is the first test for Speaker Johnson, so we'll see, we'll see how it goes.
4: <laughs> and to his credit, uh, like you just said, how this end of the year chaos is always frustrating because language is always inserted that is never fully vetted and thought through, and you got to sort through it on the tail end and usually fix it. Speaker Johnson has dedicated himself not to going down that road and not passing a large omnibus bill so everyone can just go home for the holidays he has made it clear he wants whatever comes out of the house not to be rushed um, but to be thoughtfully vetted um which i feel like is a consistent theme when you hear anyone who takes over the leadership reins they all promise to go through regular order and they promise to pay for everything and they make all the promises and that seems like the process ends up owning them more than vice versa but it is um it is a refreshing goal to hear
0: so I just want to say to our listeners that it's 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 a little bit alarming when um, Joel and Blair start talking about how the problem solvers are not getting along because yeah. the, they're <laughs> like my last hope always. And you guys, you know, they always make me feel okay when they when they come and talk to our folks. So this is very alarming to me. Even the problem solvers can't can't do it anymore.
4: It's frustrating.
1: And I, I think it also has something to. I think this is the ninth week or tenth week. This might start the tenth week or it starts the ninth week. Like I think you know, mental capacity is frayed. Um, you know, tempers are are short right now. You know, this yeah. is the longest that Congress has been in session, and so it's 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 showing. Um, and so I know that they are also looking forward to not being around each other for a while. Yeah,
4: that's right. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, It's always great to hear what's going on and we'll keep our fingers crossed that they can keep it together for a little bit longer. Great. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. That was the Council's Government Affairs team, along with Charlie Daniels of NFP and Representative Mark Molinaro. For more politics and risk, visit leadersedge.com or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts,
2: or SoundCloud.